Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. What is the difference in a good neighbor and a good citizen? How do we behave as a good neighbor and still maintain our bad citizen, a.k.a. bad Roman reputation? Well, it turns out we have the best example ever in Jesus Christ. Dominic Scarcella joins me to answer all these questions and talk about a fantastic book he wrote titled Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen, Reflections on the Core Social Conflict Revealed by Jesus Christ's Way of the Cross. Let's go. Yeah. Left, right, left, right. We got our marching orders, man. Dominic, how are you doing? And I hope I got your last name right because I meant to ask you that before we started recording. And there's there's a pretty hundred percent chance that I got it wrong somehow. You nailed it. Mm. I like it. Very good. <laughs> We're off to a great start, man. <laughs> great. All right. So I got connected with you. I, I think after the Larkin Rose episode. The first Larkin Rose episode, and then you joined our discussion group, and then you started joining our discussion group Zoom calls monthly. And I remember telling you, listening to you talk, I don't know what you, I don't even remember what you were talking about one day. <laughs> I was like, I want to get you on the show because I think I can sit and listen to you talk all day long. And you wrote a book. And so now I get you on the show. We can talk about this book that I think is just very fantastic. And I think everybody should pick up. And it's a very affordable book extremely affordable book. It's a short read. You can almost carry it around in your pocket and have it as a reference to talk about anything you want to know when it comes to being a good neighbor and a bad citizen. Well, thank you. Yeah, th- those were a lot of the goals for it. You got it. Something that was easy to carry around, uh, something that could be um, a meditative aid. Um, so you can, uh, you, if you were just going to read through it, it's, it's less than 10,000 words. So, I mean, that, that's a 45-minute read for the average adult. But if you wanted to read it more slowly and, and use it as a meditative aid, it could work as that well. And, and it's the kind of book you can revisit if you needed to. Um, it's a meditative aid because the, the subject matter is, it, it's not just good neighbor, bad citizen. It's, you know, and, and you were kind enough to read the subtitle of the book. You know, the reflections on the core social conflict revealed by Jesus Christ's way of the cross. So one of the problems when when you're writing a book is, is you're like, well, I just don't want to lecture to people. I want to give them an example of action. I want to give them an example of behavior. The modern buzzword for that is narrative. We got to get it into a narrative. And what better narrative to use than than Jesus's life? And especially this incident of his his passion and death, his his persecution, because it's already laid out for you in the Bibles. You just have to dig into it and and really wrestle with it and really grapple with what's going on there and then tie it into the rest of Jesus's public ministry and the rest of his teachings. And so the, the narrative is already there for you. All I had to do was was really lay out some of the lessons and give people some meditative aids. You know, why don't you think about this? Why don't you um, focus on this? Have you considered this yet? Maybe you've heard this before, but have you heard it in this way? You know, so the, the idea was to go with something that people are 
already somewhat familiar with, at least if you're a Christian, and I imagine your audience on the Bad Roman are people at least curious about Christ. So if, if you're already curious about Christ, this is telling you something that, you know, you, you at least have an introduction to it already. And then, you know, here comes, here comes this rather short book that uh, helps take you through Jesus's passion and death and even a little bit of the resurrection at the end. So I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you for that, uh, that good review at the introduction there. Well, I mean, and one thing I love about it so much, too, and, and you mentioned the audience for the Bad Roman, we do have listeners that aren't necessarily Christian, but they do agree with our stance as the no king but Christ, or at least not getting ourselves entangled with the government. You know, it's something I talked to Larkin Rose about on the first episode, you know, and so they appreciate that about us. You know, Larkin appreciates that about Christian anarchists is how we we stick to the no king but Christ. We don't get entangled with the state. And what, what you've done with this book to me, it, it really simplifies the things that we're reading in the Bible. Okay. Like in the Bible, you have to wrestle with it. You got to grapple with it. You got to put it all into context with everything else going on in the Bible. Because if you can read one scripture, you can make that one scripture say anything you want to. But if it's conf- conflicting with something else, well, what you've done with this book is you've brought it all together in less than 10,000 words. And it's beautiful. And I think that, I mean, everybody that I've talked to that's read your book has been pretty excited about it. And I'm excited to get you on the show to talk about it today. Well, thank you. Thank you. Before we get into that, though, because I, I have a bad habit sometimes of jumping too far ahead. Why don't you give folks a little background on yourself since it's your first time on the show? If you want whatever you want folks to know about you and we'll get into it. Well, uh, I, I guess maybe sometimes you have people on the show who have uh, long histories to tell you about and... Uh, you know, with the projects they're working on. And and I don't, you know, I, I've been a, a teacher of religious education at, at my parishes uh, off and on, but, uh, you know, just in, in really a volunteer capacity. I've taught uh, children, teens, adults. Um, we're, we're recording this, uh, if I can uh, spill the beans, we're recording this on a Sunday. So uh, I had uh, adult education class this morning that I was teaching uh, between the two uh, masses at church. Um, but other than that, this I, I've never written a book before. I used to be a, a newspaper writer. I was a sports writer for a while. Um, so I, I do have a writing background. I've done some uh, business-to-business publication work, and and uh, I've worked a little bit in uh, broadcast operations. I've been in indie music. So I, I've done a few things involved in various media over the years. Uh, I've done some web development and software development. Uh, but I... I have no credentials, though. You know, people are like, what, what makes you think you can write a book? It's like, well, I have no social status and I have no credentials. And in a way, I think that works because the whole the book is really about the fact that truth does not come from social status. Truth does not come from uh, having earned something within this, this social order. You know, Christ is, is an underminer of the social order. And the people of status, the people who were who were well regarded in the larger social order, these people turn out to be terribly confused and they do terrible, terrible things to Christ himself. So, you know, I'm a nobody. I don't matter. And and I think that's partially why the book works, because I'm not telling you, go read this book because I have a PhD in this or that. Go read this book because I'm a best-selling author of this and this and this and this. Go read this book because I'm a celebrity and I've been on this uh, media show and I've been on this 
TV show or I've been on uh, one of the streaming services. Go read the book because um, I ran for political office and I served in this. I, I was a ruler of, of this portion of government. I don't have any of that to tell anybody. And and I'm glad I don't because I think it would ruin the book if if I were telling everybody, you know, hey, go read this book because I'm a big shot. I'm not. Yeah. Well, I think I think I think that's a great point. I think that's 100 percent correct. And I think you're somebody, by the way. Well, thank you. But I think that's I think that's how the why the bad Roman works is because I'm a nobody. I mean, I'm from West Texas. There's no trees. We chased horny toads and and ran from rattlesnakes. That's what we did. But I have <laughs> I have ideas and I've got some thoughts in my head that I needed to get out. And I've been told more than once the reason people like to listen to is because I'm just a guy with some things to talk about. You know, I'm not some big shot celebrity. I have been accused of being some micro celebrity now. I don't even know what the hell that means. <laughs> Whatever a micro celebrity is, apparently that's what I am. And I don't, I don't even buy into that either because okay. <laughs> I run into people all the time who never heard of it. But then I get messages from people that have heard of it from their friends. So people are going to hear about this book from their friends too. And I think that's it's kind of how this stuff grows. And I think it does work well with the book. I mean, it's very simple. It's not scholarly. It's very easy to read. And sometimes I need to be, I need stuff like that. I'd rather read a book like this than read a book like what you were describing. Some guy that ran for office or was in public office or some pastor. Don't get me wrong. Some of them have some great books. Don't get me wrong. But I would, I, I resonate more with stuff like this. So I'm, I'm proud of the book and you should be proud of it as well. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I am, I'm pleased with how the book uh, turned out and, uh, it, you know, I, I had, if, if you'll let me digress a bit, I, I really had no plans of writing a book. I was trying to get a job as um, sort of a jack of all trades and publications manager at, a, at a, a think tank and institute and publishing house that I really respect. And uh, one of the questions um, their creative director asked me as I was just informally chatting with him on, uh, on LinkedIn was, uh, do you have any experience with some of the publishing platforms? We've got a lot of books in the works and we want to publish. And I said, no, I don't, but I'll learn. And he said, well, I mean, you got to know Amazon and how Amazon does self-publishing and how their Kindle publishing works. And so I said, well, I'll learn. And I went and I, I looked into how Amazon publishes. And then at some point I said to myself, I'm going to need to publish something. I'm going to need a book to work on. <laughs> so I was like, what can I write rather quickly that I already know about? And it's, uh, you know, th this book came about because I, I, you know, I, I've been praying the Stations of the Cross and and uh, particularly devotions on mercy for years. And I've been making the distinction when I teach between, you know, Jesus is a good neighbor, but he's not necessarily a good citizen. And, you know, people are really surprised to hear that because, you know, you grow up in, in the modern Western world and, and that's, that's foreign to you. So, so I knew this. And so I was able to hammer out a, a short devotional and that gave me something to, to, learn really how the publishing houses work. And at the end of it, I, I wound up not getting the job. They already had someone in mind and it filled it. But, you know, as I said to the guy, well, thank you very much. This has been really cool just chatting with you. I still have the knowledge and I have a book. <laughs> and now other people can read the book too, because, you know, I successfully got it onto these publishing houses. So now other people can read it. And I've been, I've been rather pleased that, that other people have wanted to read it. What a great outcome and something that I, I didn't totally expect. So I'm I, I'm very I'm very happy with with just how how my own faith led me here to something that I didn't expect. 
and how now maybe other people can benefit from that uh, as well. I love it. I love it. And, <laughs> and you just mentioned stations. Let's. I want to kind of start there. Um, sure. In the book, in each chapter, you got. I think there's three stations per chapter. If I'm. If yes. I'm, okay. So there's three stations per chapter now, and there's a bonus station at the end. I don't know. If yeah, I threw one bonus. in there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we'll get to that. We might get to that. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how time goes, but. Maybe explain what the stations are. Not not each station. We'll get into some of them as we go along. But you know what, you know what I'm saying. Like, what are, what do you mean by stations? Okay, so if, if you've ever uh, read some of the canonical gospels in in your standard Bible, um, you realize that they talk a little bit about Jesus's uh, carrying of the cross, uh, being uh, first uh, condemned by Pilate, and then carrying his cross, and then being crucified and and dying uh, that rather horrible death. Um, as a criminal, as an undesirable, as just a, a someone thrown away by society. Um, but of course, there's there's so much, so much of the detail is not always in the Bible there, because remember the Bible, these canonical gospels were written to people who they they were living under Roman occupation. So, for instance, the, the Bible tells you almost nothing about what a crucifixion is. And you wonder, well, why would they not tell you what a crucifixion is? Well, because everybody who would have been the initial audience for the Gospels, they knew very well what a Roman crucifixion was. They did not have to, they did not need it to be spelled out for them. They knew that, you know, so, and and now as modern readers, we, we miss some of what that is. Now, the Stations of the Cross, particularly, many different denominations of modern Christianity will do Stations of the Cross devotions. Um, the Stations of the Cross is very ancient. Uh, the earliest Christians, uh, especially those from maybe areas outlying Jerusalem, uh, remember uh, Christianity is, is very much a pilgrimage religion. And so there were early Christians who would go to Jerusalem, and because so much of Christ's ministry is, is real history, you know, there are real places where these things took place. And early Christians would go into Jerusalem and very quietly, they would walk the way of the cross. They would follow these real places in the city where Jesus would have been ushered through very uh, brutally on his way to be crucified. Um, The same thing happens with early Christians making pilgrimages to Jerusalem around the, the time of year when Jesus would have risen from the dead. Early Christianity is, is very much an, an, Earth, it's a humble religion, right? Humble means um, feet on the ground. It comes from an old uh, Roman root talking about the ground. So to be humble is to be rooted. To be humble is to have your feet on the ground. It's not self-loathing or putting yourself down or or things like that or insulting yourself. It's simply about having a perspective that you're well-grounded. And so the early church is a humble religion. They're well-grounded. So these, these real historical settings are are very much a part of their of their worship. It, it's very much a part of their memory of, of things that they make present. And you know, we're we're far removed from that. We're, we're an ocean and a half away from it in the United States, and almost two thousand years later. But the Stations of the Cross are still a a well loved devotion for many Christians. Um, and, and so, I use a lot of those those traditional understandings of what Jesus went through and what it was like to be paraded publicly through town to be shamed. Like, they're not just going to kill you. 
They're going to shame you on the way to killing you, torture you and on the way to shaming you on the way to killing you, and use the whole spectacle as a way to scare other people into compliance. You're nothing but a thing to them. Jesus was nothing but a thing to these people. But of course, to the early Christians, especially to those who, who witnessed this and then said, maybe there was something to that guy that I should give it a, a second thought to. To these early Christians, you know, that, that way of the cross becomes something so deep and so worthy of their time and attention and their prayer and, and eventually becomes something so beautiful. So that the, the stations of the cross are are the, the details that everybody in the first century would have known that therefore didn't make their way into the written canonical gospels. But they've survived through tradition. They've survived in many modern denominations of Christianity. And, and they really do call us to remember that Christianity is more than idea. It's, it's personhood and it's real history that takes place in a real setting, in a real location somewhere on this earth. I love that. Okay. That, now I get it. <laughs> all right. So what, I like the way you started the introduction. You know, every, all, all these books have introductions and, and they, they have their own way of doing things. But I like how you did this how, because it really lays the foundation for everything we're fixing to talk about, everything you wrote down in this book. And, and the introduction is it's titled Priorities. Now, we're talking about good neighbors and uh, good citizens, right? You said good neighbors treat each other as peers, good citizens treat each other according to the, according to official status. Good neighbors seek the personal intimate betterment of themselves and each other. Good citizens seek the external validation of an impersonal system. Good neighbors align to voluntary open, open-ended interactions. Good citizens align to coercive civil authority and, and impose hierarchical social order. Good neighbors insource their ethics, charity, and friendship are the key virtues of their relationships. Good citizens outsource their ethics. Compliance with the commands of rulers and enforcers is a fundamental and necessary aspect. Some might call it a civic virtue. Good neighbors consent. Good citizens conform. Jesus steadfastly chooses to be a good neighbor, especially when faced with the direct brutality of the coercive civil authorities, both Roman and Israelite, and knowing all it would cost him. Even prior to his arrest, trial, and execution, the events of Jesus' recorded ministry show this confrontation between loyalties, neighbor, and citizen in stark terms. I love how you, uh, to me, that's the foundation of this entire book. And I love how we've, I don't know how many people will skip over an introduction of a book, but I think if, when you, they, people pick up this book, it's very important to read the introduction of this book before you read the, the the content of this book, because it really lays the foundation of what you were trying to get across to the reader. And I think you did it perfectly. When you when you read that, was it something, and here I am turning into the interviewer, was it something that, that uh, resonated with you or did you find it confusing? Because th- there are some there are some dichotomies I draw there that, that might be new to people. They may not have thought about it in those kind of stark terms of of what it means to be neighbor and what it means to be citizen. It, it wasn't new to me. I mean, because, you know, we've been, we've been doing this project for, well, at the time of this recording, almost four years, you know, we're, we're a few months short of four years. So I've learned a lot of things along the way, you know, coming from my neoconservative roots to a pacifist now. So I've learned a lot of things along the way, you know, so that's, there's a, there's a big divide there. 
So it wasn't new to me and it might be new to some people trying to work through some of this stuff, but I don't think it was, it was, I don't think it would be hard to understand for a, a new reader or, or somebody new to this, this topic. You know what I'm saying? I think, it, I think it was easily understood. I mean, good neighbors basically is voluntary association. Good citizen is coercive brutality through the state. That's how I read all of that. And, and that's the, that's the reality in Jesus's time. And I, I try to keep things focused on what happened to Jesus and the, the biblical accounts and the records of the early church as recorded there in the canonical gospels. But at the same time, I do hint that people should consider the lessons of this for our own time. Like your government does this to people. Maybe not to you personally, but your government does this to people. Your your society is built on the same stuff that Jesus undermined, the same stuff that Jesus railed against, the same stuff that Jesus countered by showing people a better way. And no, they were not compatible, right? There, there's, there's one of Jesus's apostles who tried to make the state and, and Jesus compatible. There was one good citizen among Jesus's dis, uh, close followers, Judas. That's the good citizen. Of all the apostles, Judas is the good citizen, and that did not work out well. This trying to force Jesus, force Christ, force Christ's message into this power structure that that belittled people, that ranked people, and gave people different privileges based on their status, uh, that that justified the violence of some people in order to keep order. You know, these things that that. It's so easy to read the Gospels and to say, yeah, Jesus is the good guy and the Romans and the Pharisees and the the Sanhedrin are the bad guys. But can you now be honest with yourself and your own society and look around and say, oh, my goodness, I'm on the side of the bad guys and and quite often I'm one of the bad guys. And and that's that's hopefully where I think where, where people will get to with this short book because again it's a meditative aid. You, you're not praying the Stations of the Cross just for the heck of going through the motions. You're praying the Stations of the Cross because, like all prayer, you are seeking God's will. So, what is this information? What is trying to recall what Jesus went through? What is the lessons and and the model of Christ? What is that supposed to point me to seek? In my life, it's not just a history lesson. Christianity is historical, but it's not supposed to stay in history. It's supposed to be relevant to the contemporary Christian. And those are where the tough questions come in. It's easy to see that Jesus is the hero and the Romans and the Israelites are the villains. It's much more difficult to realize that the things that you like about your life and your world and your society are those same villains. And the people you would look down upon are people who are like Christ. See, and this is something that I was thinking about as I was reading the book, too. And, I, and I've said often that if Jesus was a, walking around in the United States of America right now, I'm convinced that there would be church leaders and Christians, self-professing Christians, who would get sick of his message <laughs> and would want the governing authorities to do something about him 
And if they couldn't get him to shut up, then they would probably have him crucified. They'd call the cops on him, wouldn't they? They'd, they'd call the cops on him. <laughs> I'm convinced of that. And 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 I think, and that's because and you didn't come out and say it completely in this book, but as I was reading it, that's what I, I was thinking about a lot. I was like, this happens all the time, just like you were talking about. This happens all the time in just America. I mean, I don't can't speak for other countries, but you can see it. I mean, just to talk about the Israel-Palestine thing, we're seeing it right now with, among Christians with Israel and Palestine. You know, it's the same. And I, I don't want to get too far off of that. I want to stick to the book. We've got other episodes on that. All right. Let's uh, jump forward to Station 1. Okay. Pilate condemns Jesus. And remember, I told you that I was as I was reading this, I learned something very, very early on in this book. And there was this first station that I was kind of, there was, there's part of this that, it's John 19, 10, 11. Use that, that verse. Mm-hmm. I learned something. This is, this is the part I was telling you I learned something about. We were talking about it in the Zoom meeting, but I didn't want to give too much away to the other people in the Zoom group. I wanted to listen to the show, read the book, whatever. All right. John 10 or 19, 10 through 11. So Pilate said to him, do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and I have power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no power over me if it had not given to you from above. For this reason, the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. And this is where I learned something. Okay, because when you read that scripture, when he says you would have no power over me if it had not been given given to you from above. Right. Mm -hmm. That's read by the vast majority of your Christians as that authority was given to Pilate from God. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't believe that. But I had a hard time explaining it to it. You explaining that to people who would bring that to my attention. I'm like, okay, but it doesn't align with other things Jesus was saying. No, it doesn't. So there's something else going on here. And Dominic says it. (laughs) Some read this as Jesus claiming Pilate has been divinely justified as the civil ruler given to you from above. He put that in parentheses. But such an interpretation seems at odds with the rest of what Jesus says in the rest of the gospel. Jesus isn't justifying Pilate. Jesus is humbling Pilate. And I'm like, oh, because he went on to say, first, Pilate's position of Roman governor, his place in the violence-based society, social hierarchy is literally given to him by his Roman superiors from above. And I read that. I was like, oh, now I can explain this to people when they want to hit me with this scripture because I was like, I don't know how to explain this to them. <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> Thank you, Dominic, for pointing that out to Craig. I needed that one. I, I'm I'm glad. I, I You are welcome, and, and thank you for for uh, for that. I, I'm glad that the, you, you found some something that sparked your imagination right away. Very good. <laughs> yeah, the, there's a lot in this book where I take aim at contemporary, lazy thinking, low ethics, low attention Christian tropes. And modern Western Christianity is full of them. Right. Uh, there, there's a lot that that needs to be re-examined back to the Gospels, back to the early church, really back to the presence of God. Because the, the, the most important thing about Christianity is it's not simply ritual. You know, ritual will get you as far as routine, but Christ doesn't call us merely to routine. And it's not symbolism and language and, and ideas. You know, symbolism and language and ideas will get you as far as theology and philosophy. But Christ doesn't call us to philosophy and theology. Christ calls us to faith, and you don't get to faith without presence. And I think too much of what passes for, for popular Christianity and cultural Christianity is, is terribly shallow. 
and it, it misses so much that's right there in the Gospels, you know, and, and that's why this book is so heavily based on the Gospels. I quote the Gospels over and over again in this book, and then I point to other areas of the Gospels where, you know, Jesus already talked about this, and now he's saying it again, or he he warned about this, and now it's happening. Because I, I think there's a sense that, you know, and, and you brought it up, how easy it is to take that passage about Pilate and to turn it into, well, government is ordained by God. Yeah, every time it is. And it's, it's, it's become so frustrating on my end, especially with this trying to explain mm-hmm. no king but Christ. Right, to another Christian. To a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> to, to a Christian. It's, 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 it, it gets me so frustrated. Like you see me now, I'm laughing about it because I've just finally, I had a, I woke up to a text message today and she's like, can you help me with this? This guy sent me this, this link about the constitution being divinely inspired by God. I'm like, what a bunch of statist garbage that is. <laughs> I said, I'm fixing to stop sugarcoating this stuff with these people and just being straight to the point about no, that was divine, or that was inspired by Satan himself. If we want to get back to the temptation of Christ, let's let's talk about that. But that's a whole other topic. I hope for a whole other episode. Maybe we can do later. Hey, folks, we have set up a very simple way to donate to the Bad Rumor Project through SpotFund.com. Just go to SpotFund and search "No King But Christ." This has become necessary to continue to provide a quality podcast and keep production costs down as well. Just five or ten bucks a month will go a long way in helping us keep this project going and continue spreading the very basic message of no king but Christ. So if you like what we were doing and can find it within your budget, go to spotfund.com and search no king but Christ and you can set up monthly donations or even donate one time. Any and all donations help more than you know. And as always, any donations above production costs will go directly to charities in Memphis, Tennessee. Thank you all so much. Now back to the show. All right, let's skip to station three. Jesus falls the first time. Mm-hmm. You, you brought up Matthew 4, 5 mm-hmm. through 7. Let me just read the scriptures. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the par- uh, parapet of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and with your, their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, and then you go on to say that the devil knows that Jesus can call on the angels to save him. And we see this, you know, when the whole time he's being humiliated and beaten on the way to being crucified. He could have done that. And then I'm going to skip forward a little bit in the book. He says, yes, it's a wonder that God would take on human form. But this exploration gains an even deeper meaning upon realizing that God submits to human nature to the point of being helplessly, mortally weak. It's one thing to be humble, quite another thing to be humiliated. And when Jesus falls, it rapidly becomes clear how thoroughly God commits to the incarnation. God has accepted human frailty, not partially, but entirely. And Jesus' response is perhaps most remarkable for what he do- doesn't do than for what he does. Jesus doesn't call on angels, doesn't summon superhuman physical strength, and doesn't retaliate against his aggressors. He doesn't even spare himself the humiliation. Jesus won't satiate, nor deny, nor oppress the human condition. Not when tested by the devil in the desert, nor by the, the crowds 
during his during his ministry, nor by his persecutors at the end, for God didn't take on human form to satiate, deny, or oppress, but to redeem. And when I read that, dude, I went, Amen. <laughs> I mean, that gave me goosebumps when I read that. I was like, that is that's it right there. That's it. I mean, he could have we know Jesus could have stopped all of that. Mm-hmm. But every everything he was going, it, 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 even to sit and think about that for a minute is humbling for me. Mm-hmm. How often do we want to fight back against our aggressors and fight against being humiliated? Mm-hmm. It's on our human nature. He didn't do it, and he's our perfect example of how we're supposed to behave. Now, I'm not saying that we can take on the nature of Christ and be just like Christ. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not all the time. Sometimes, but not yeah. all the time. Most people don't realize it. Jesus gets, a, um, I think, a, a lousy reputation as a guy who was just um, weak all the time and, and passive. Yeah. Um, but if, if you read the Gospels, Jesus Christ is a badass. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. He's a tough hombre, and he he teaches people active defiance. He doesn't teach people revenge. That's the thing you were talking about is that you you have that impulse to to get revenge on people. Jesus does not get revenge on people. You know, he he preaches defiance, he's really good at it. He preaches people being tough and 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 being resilient and being vigilant. You know, he he tells people to be vigilant but not to be, you know, what we would call vigilantes. You know, looking for uh that that kind of vengeance that vengeful desire right. to, to do to other people the evil that we think has been done to us. But he's the kind of person who will do everything in his power to make things right, except God will not do evil to us. And in fact, as I try to get into a little later in the book, God will not even take back his gifts. You know, I, I, I went through this just this morning in, in adult education class. We were talking about the cross and and and, you know, so I, I brought up, you know, one of our students was saying, well, the cross, someone asked me, why would we wear a, a cross around our neck? Why would we have a cross up in our church? You know, that, that's that's somebody being killed. Why would we have that? And I say, well, we don't have it up because we agree with people being killed by the state. We have it there because the cross reminds us that God does not take back his gifts even when we misuse them. You know, if you've ever wondered, would God take away free will if someone used free will the wrong way? Your evidence that the answer is no is Jesus's persecution. Jesus will not take away people's free will and turn them into puppets on strings, even when he's being persecuted, beaten, whipped, scourged, paraded through town, nailed to a cross and left up there to suffocate. God will not take away grace. Even then, you know, the, the most God will do, and, and thank God for this, is, is we'll just keep showing us over and over again, no, there's a better way to, to, to do your being human. There's a better way to, to be happy. There's a better way to thrive. There, there's a better way to flourish. What you're doing is not really flourishing. It may feel good because you, you're, you're, you're controlling another person. You're brutally controlling another person, but that's not really human flourishing. So God won't take away his gifts. God will not do evil to us, even when we do evil to God. God will always be that beacon of light and try to show us virtue. 
there's enough vice in the human condition already. There's enough vice in the world. God will not show us more vice. God will show us virtue. And and the way of the cross is, you know, if, if you thought Jesus was just kidding, if you thought God was just kind of joking around with the incarnation and he was he was just here for giggles and a few magic tricks, the way of the cross should drive it home to you that there must be something beautiful about the human condition for God to do this. And I, I, I try to expound on that later in the book, but but it's there. It, there are hints of it the whole way as you examined what Jesus went through, his ordeal and, and this way of the cross. Well, we're going to talk about a little bit of that right now in Station 5. Station 5. Simon helps carry Jesus' cross. Oh, okay. I, I like this station because we talk about more of Scripture that gets misinterpreted badly. <laughs> what, what, what stood out to you about it? I don't want to pretend that I know your question already. Well, no, what, what I was going to start with was Matthew 5, 39 through 41, towards the, um, because when we talk about the nonviolent nature of Christ and how he explains how he wants us to behave, and I don't know if you, if you consider yourself a pacifist, I don't, I don't know. I consider myself a guy who doesn't initiate violence. There you go. There you go. I don't call the cops on my neighbors. I don't, you know, I don't do other things like that. I don't write to my legislator because someone's ticking me off. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably my legislator that's ticking me off. So what, <laughs> <laughs> what would the point of that be anyway? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's not going to listen to you anyway. Right. <laughs> but in this verse, in the scripture, in this verse, as you said, when, or not what you said, the Bible says, when someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one to him as well. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand him your cloak as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go with him for two miles. And you parallel this with Simon going that extra mile, carrying Jesus' cross, and then becoming part of the church. Okay. And also being pressed into service. Being pressed into service, for, for sure. Yep. That, like, and, and I, there's, you, I don't, it seemed like you weren't sure if he, Prior to that, if he was on Jesus' side or if he became on Jesus' side, we don't know. Okay. We don't know beforehand, but eventually it, it seems quite clear from the scriptures that he does. But we don't know initially. Okay. There were probably a lot of people witnessing this who were kind of on the fence. Maybe they had heard about Jesus, maybe not, but they knew the Romans were doing something. And, you know, it's you got to look. You got to see what's happening, yeah. So well, then you went on to you went on to explain the three cases in in the, in the scripture. Mm -hmm. He said in each of these three cases, Jesus preaches defiance of the rigidly hierarchical social order. In other words, Jesus teaches to be a good neighbor but a bad citizen. Mm -hmm. First, most people are, are right-handed, whether naturally or with lots of practice. To be struck on the right cheek means you received a backhanded slap, which was done by superiors to inferiors. Yeah. Offering your left cheek is to declare yourself defiantly to be your striker's equal. I love that, by the way. Second, a cloak was a, a vital possession that could not be withheld from its owner overnight. To a plaintiff who would use the courts to take your tunic over a debt, giving you, him your cloak would suddenly turn the plaintiff's own cherished legalism against him. Third, the Roman occupiers of Palestine, as they called it, could force a local man into hard labor, but only for a maximum of one mile. To keep going beyond a mile put the Roman at risk of punishment if his superiors found found out. Another dignity asserting act of defiance. And it seems that Simon would indeed eventually go the extra mile, a clear act of defying the Roman and Israelite authorities. Mm -hmm. By joining the church, yeah. By joining the church. <laughs> 
I think that's great. I mean, that's great. That's that's one thing when when we talk about pacifism. When, when I was reading that, when we talk about pacifism, we talked about pacifism quite a quite a bit on the show. Um, when you when he's talking about being slapped and then turning the turning the other cheek. I mean, there's a lot of Christians that believe in like self defense, and that's a whole other topic I don't want to get into right now. But when people when people view pacifism, they really get pacifism wrong. They're, they're not understanding what pacifism is. Correct, and they're not getting that Bible passage correct most of the time either. People think turn the other cheek means well, let the guy hit you again. Yeah, just keep make yourself a doormat and let, let people keep hitting you. And that's not at all what Jesus is talking about there. Remember. Jesus Christ is a badass. <laughs> like, he's a tough dude. I think I'm going to make a meme. Jesus is a badass. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's because and then it's pacifism is viewed as, a, like you just said, a doormat. And he was not a doormat. And going back to what we read in um, Station 3, all of this, everything he's doing at the very end of the day was so he could redeem. Yes. And he's teaching these, he's teaching these people this along the way, do this because it, it, as you're doing this, it, I think it, actually, I don't think, I think it, I know it humbles people to the point where it's like, what is this guy all about? Maybe I need to know more about this Jesus guy, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's, I, I love Jesus and I love the way he did things. And I love the way he questioned things. And I love the way he was a bad citizen because it makes total sense. When you when you put all of the scripture together, especially the New Testament, when you we talk when you look at the life of Jesus and how he behaved and how he interacted with with governing authorities, man, he humbled them along the way in the entire time. Because how many times did they try to trap him and ask and try to get him to and asking him questions? How many times did he he returned to them with another question and they could not answer, and they had to turn around and walk away because there was no answer to what he said. That's humbling to a human being. That's humbling to anybody when you're like, oh, he just got me. I have no response to this. And he didn't have to, he did not have to put put his message out there violently. All he did was ask a question. And then they walked away. <laughs> and they had to think about it along the way. And I just to me, that is one of the most beautiful aspects of the ministry of Christ was how he could humble people without being violent, without shaming them. He just asked a question. And if you can't answer, that's kind of on you. Go think about it and get back to me later. And then we'll talk about it. And, and that's the key is, is the, the door's always open with Jesus. You know, you can get back to him later. If, if he if he stumps you on something and you go back and you you pray about it and you grapple with it, the door's always open for, for you to come back and see Jesus later. Uh, you know, the, you, you brought up something there about um, uh, self-defense or pacifism or something when when we are attacked, the, the most instinctual thing to do is what's called the fight or flight reflex. And so it's, it's either fight, meaning, you know, do it back to the other person or flight, you know, run away in fear, or, or sometimes it's, it's fight or flight or freeze. You know, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to be frozen and let myself, you know, keep getting hit. And, and Jesus offers you another way there. You know, if if someone puts you down and tries to make you their inferior, Jesus isn't saying, well, turn the tables on him and show him that you're really that guy's superior. No, he's not saying that. He's also not saying, uh, well, yeah, I guess you just have to be that guy's inferior forever and just take it and, and think of yourself that way. He's not saying that either. He's telling people, channel your dignity. 
Channel your dignity, your, your inherent worth that you have as a human being and respond with that. If what the other person is doing to you is wrong, then you're not right for doing it back to them. You might be getting even with them, but you know, getting even does not mean that you chose the best thing. You're also not doing a good thing if you become a doormat for people and, and, and have no respect for yourself or for the people that you may have to help uh, teach and, and, and lead and, and protect in your own small, quiet ways. So there's, there's another way. Christianity is difficult because it goes against the psychological path of least resistance on which almost all other religions are based. The path of least resistance for the human psyche is hierarchy imposed by force. Animals behave that way. Chimpanzees behave that. Chimpanzees have governments. Okay, they're tribal. They have hierarchies. They're enforced by brutality. They have wars with other tribes. Chimpanzees have this. Fight or flight, that's that psychological path of least resistance. Um, Short-term preference and, and gain is path of least resistance. Uh, retaliate, that's a, that's a quick impulse that people have. That's all psychological path of least resistance. And so many things, ex- so many other belief systems exalt that. You know, citizenship certainly exalts that. Strive for status. Strive for a place in society where you can force your will onto other people. You know, go have a preemptive war somewhere. Looks like those people need some democracy. We better bring it to them. (laughs) You know, uh, all these other belief systems, they just rely on, on putting a suit and tie and some lipstick and eyeshadow on the psychological path of least resistance. And Christ, of course, is telling you, no, don't take the psychological path of least resistance. Don't take the chimpanzee way out. <laughs> don't take the chimpanzee way out. I love that. Don't take the chimpanzee way out, man. You, you've evolved, <laughs> right? Rise above the chimpanzee level of IQ. Rise above the chimpanzee level of ethics. <laughs> I love this. Like, you're capable of so yeah. much more. <laughs> All right. I want to I want to touch on something briefly with uh, it's, it's Station Six and Veronica wipes Jesus' face. And I told you before we started recording, if we had time, I want to touch on. I still want to touch on it for the sake of time. Let's kind of try and keep this part brief because there's 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 two more stations I want to touch on before we end the show. Um, talk, tell me about so there's no biblical evidence of somebody named Veronica. No. Why did you add somebody named Veronica into Station Six? Maybe just explain who Veronica is and and what's going on here. She is traditionally part of the ancient stations of the cross. Okay. That there were, that there was some, first of all, Jesus has many followers and benefactors, many of whom were women um, who um, aided his ministry because it, 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 it takes money, it takes food, it takes resources to, you know, be an itinerant preacher uh, and have, you know, your, your band of 12 buddies following you around. Uh, So they do receive financial help from many people, including many women. Uh, some of them are named in the Bible. Many of them are not. They're just, you know, kind of glossed over as many others. And so you, you wonder why would the early church and, and tradition have kept a station about this, this seemingly obscure woman who wipes Jesus's face while he's, you know, being cajoled, to put it nicely, back to his feet after he falls. And it seems to me that this is here to show us 
what kindness means, you know, and, and it's almost futile. Like Veronica wiping Jesus's face does not mean that he's going to be, you know, saved from his torture on the cross. It's, it's just a small act of kindness that somebody did for someone who was in trouble. It's someone who took a risk to be kind to somebody who was, you know, it, it, was, it was so easy to just cheer on the Romans and the Sanhedrin and everybody that the, the Israelite leaders had whipped into a frenzy. It would have been so easy to be out there for the parade because that's what this was and just cheer them on. It was a lot harder to have empathy and sympathy and, and compassion for the outcast. And this is just a simple, you know, I, I, I tried to, to write it there. Um, the woman known traditionally as Veronica represents whomever had the courage to do some small acts of good for this pitiful criminal Jesus. Perhaps you can't be blameless like Mary or physically strong like Simon, but if you stay alert and ready, you can find opportunities to be a good neighbor to someone in need. You can share kindness like Veronica. You know, I, I love the stories in the Bible about women who follow Jesus because there's so much made of, you know, of how this, who should be teaching in church and who should be leaders in church. And I, I've made a point and when I, I had, uh, I've made the point more than once on the show that during all, all this was going on. And even after Jesus was resurrected, it was women that were there with him because mm -hmm. all the men were hiding. Many of them. Yeah. And I like I like to point that out because there's, for some reason, I, and I, I can't stand a church that treats a woman as a second-class citizen. I've seen it too often in churches that I've attended, and I, and I can't stand it. So I always like to point that out when, whenever I can on the show or to people I'm talking to, just in, in real life about it, too. I was like, you do understand that they, women were there when he was resurrected, when he was there at the cross, whenever, just like you were talking about Veronica, there this they were they they are so important in the teaching of the ministry of Christ, and I don't I hate that that they're treated as second class citizens. Anyway, that's my soapbox moment for women in the church. Well, back then they were. It, back then, to be a good citizen, you had to be a man, or you had to be a woman attached to a man, either because you were uh, the man's wife, the man's daughter. You know, you a woman's status in the hierarchical hierarchical society was based on the man to whom she attached herself. But Jesus never taught him or never treated him that way. No, because Jesus wasn't concerned with good citizens. He was concerned with good neighbors. There you go. See, only men, back go. then, only men could be really good citizens. <laughs> men and women and children could be good neighbors. There you go. Jesus calls people to be good neighbors. There you go. There you go. All right, let's skip to station nine now. Jesus falls the third time. Mm -hmm. He says, Station 9 emphasizes that Jesus does not arrive at Golgotha full of physical vigor, but as a broken man whose life has nearly expired. His dire condition presents an opportunity to reflect on the good citizen model of crime and justice. Jesus confronts such a dilemma not long before his current predicament. This is the story about the woman who was caught in adultery and... This is one of those parts where Jesus turned pretty much humiliated them, not, or humbled, I'm sorry, not humiliated, but hum, humbled them, I'm sorry, humbled them in this whenever, but let's just read it because I, I love this part of the Bible so much because I, I, there's so many legalistic type Christians, there's so many um, Christians out there pointing at the finger at somebody else and not even looking at themselves, you know, so then, then the scribes and the Pharisees brought out, brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle. This is John 8, 3 through 11. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. 
Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said to this, they said this to test him so that they could have some charges to bring against him. Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. And I've always been curious about what he was writing in the ground. Yeah, right. <laughs> have you ever wondered what Jesus was doing there? All right, anyway. But then when they continued asking him, he straightened up and said to them, let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. <laughs> and in response, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. So he was left alone with the woman before him. Then Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replied, no one, no one, sir. Then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, do not sin anymore. That very last part, people are like, well, it wasn't mean he was condoning her adultery. No, he wasn't condoning her adultery. No. You're correct. He was not condoning it. Correct. But at the whole point of that scripture, and by, the way I read it is, why don't you work on yourself before you start trying to throw stones at somebody else for their sin? Mm -hmm. I have a hard time believing there's one sin greater than the other. A sin's a sin. Now, in our human mind, okay, murder's worse than Theft, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, but to me, but it's a, it's a sin's a sin, in my opinion. So this scripture's, man, this scripture's caused so many debates between me and other other Christians because I'm like, all he's saying is, if you're without sin, you throw the stone at her. He humbled him. Well, what he's doing is, is basically he's, he's destroying the very notion of uh, criminal justice. That there should be human institutions going around. And the law, Moses commanded us to stone such Right? Women. Yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> he's destroying that whole notion because like you said, he's not telling the woman that, oh, you were wrongly accused. He flat out tells her she's guilty. Go from, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Right. He's telling her, yes, I know you sinned. Don't do it again, but you know, you're not condemned. So does Jesus condone adultery? No, but you know what he condones even less? Coercive civil authority. Yes. <laughs> and getting together with your mob, your gang, your, your, your criminal gang in suits and fancy titles to inflict harm on people under some, some twisted notion that you're, you're uh, achieving justice by doing it. You know, there, there are zero examples in the Gospels of Jesus teaching coercive, invasive acts to keep social order. Zero. While Jesus is certainly against sinful behavior, he offers no justifications for individuals nor institutions threatening or inflicting harm, even toward the guilty. You know, that, that's, that, that's sort of the end of, uh, of Station 9 there. Yeah, I mean, and it's that, that scripture, like I said a while ago, has caused so many different debates among other Christians. I love the way you put that out there is because, because it, it was against coercive civil would you say coercive civil? Coercive civil authorities, uh, yeah. monopoly violence institutions, the idea that some people are allowed to violate others because it's good for order. Well, it's another thing, too, that, that I point, I've pointed out, too. I said when Jesus came on the scene, he was correcting a lot of bad theology. Yes. Yes. And he was correcting some very bad theology there. Yes. Because Moses said this. Well, what did Jesus say? Yeah. I, I, I hear this a lot of times from Christians, too. Well, Paul said this, or Moses said this, or or whoever, and I'm like, okay, but what did Jesus say? Because we see very early on that Jesus came to create to 
correct a lot of bad theology, a lot of bad thinking. And just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that they may have got this thing wrong. And Jesus is like, hang on a second. This is what I meant. Sure. This is what I meant. As Christians, we read the entirety of the Bible in light of Christ. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, the Bible is is littered with people who get things wrong, who don't have enough knowledge, who get things incomplete, yeah. people who sin, people who sin terribly. It's full of, of, of people succumbing to pagan influences and, and their worst natures. Yeah, and I get so frustrated with Christians, too. They, they want to put the Bible above Christ. Like, don't get me wrong. I love my Bible. I've learned a lot about Jesus from my Bible, but I've also learned a lot about Jesus from Dominic from my mom, from my grandmother, you know, from several other Christians, you know. So there's a lot of, back in the day, a lot of people couldn't even read. Yes. Only 3% of the people could read. Sure. But they were hearing about Jesus from word of mouth. Sure. And and by modeling it. And I get hit with that too. Well, you wouldn't know about Jesus without the Bible. No, that's not true. It, it took a generation and a half for there to be a written New Testament anyway. I see too often with Christians, and this is going to, may get me in trouble with some of my listeners Feel free to email me at the Bad Roman Podcast at gmail.com because I don't believe that the Bible is above Jesus. And when you start putting the Bible above Jesus, you're doing Jesus a disservice. That's not fair <laughs> to Jesus. Anyway, that's another soapbox moment for Craig. No, but that's good. And it gives most of Jesus's recorded public ministry is him going around correcting people's mistakes. You're, you're absolutely right. And he's correcting the mistakes of people who were familiar with the Israelite scriptures and the history. Yeah. He's not, you know, he, he's not correcting total noobs. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they're pretty, they're pretty knowledgeable about what the scripture says. Pretty, he's correcting the Pharisees. He's correcting the Sadducees. Yeah. He's correcting the scholars of the law. So y'all got this wrong. Let me tell you what, the, what I meant by all this. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We're going to skip to now to station 12. And I remember Uh-oh. in our zoom call, you were like, Go read, make, let me know when you get to station 12. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to tell you I, I got to station 12 because I've read the book, but I like station 12 Okay, quite a bit. The, the it's Jesus dies on the cross, and you you listed several, um, oh, there's four different verses, uh, Matthew 27, 50, Mark 15, 37, Luke 23, 46, and John 19, 30. I'll read the John verse. It says, when Jesus had taken the wine, he said it is finished, and bowing his head, he handed over the spirit. You didn't explain any scriptures. Your next line was good cops kill Jesus. <laughs> that was your next line. <laughs> Are we going to get spicy now? Did we wait till the very end? I think we've been a little spicy throughout the show, but this is, we're going to get spicy. This is spicy. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think I had to explain what it means that Jesus dies. Well, you said good cops kill Jesus, not bad cops, not road cops, not corrupt cops, good cops, the ones who obey orders and follow their training and protocols, the ones who care about their communities and keep the streets safe and secure. The ones who are just doing their jobs and trying to go home to their families. Hey, they don't make the rules. They just enforce them. Stop resisting. Good cops kill Jesus. This is a thing that's a stickler. I'm going to go a lot of the, especially American Christians when it comes to the police. And I, and I know a lot of cops are Christians. I had I don't have this discussion with it. If they want to talk to me about it, I'll talk to them about it. I'm very open about it on my Facebook page about how I feel about this. From my understanding in the, in the early church, if you had any kind of, if you were a Roman soldier, which... In that day, a Roman soldier was also a cop. It's the same. The soldier, the cop was the same thing. You, They're enforcers, especially in occupied territory. Right. And you had to and you had to denounce. You had to leave that job if you wanted to be a part of the church. That's how strict the church was about this. Early, like if you if you held a, if you held a position that could inflict any harm on anybody, 
you had to lose that position before you could be welcomed into the church. That's how that's how much they took nonviolence seriously. Okay, so this whole idea that I, I get the, some of the, these cop pages that are that they're so cringe to me, like they want to post stuff on Easter and, and they got their cop cars and there's a cross and they're talking about how great they are and they're thank you for your service and I'm like you do know it was cops that killed Jesus, right? <laughs> and it's silence. But this is. I want to kind of drill down on this before I let you go, because let's get a little spicy about this, because I think this is this has to be understood among Christians who are back in the blue and back in the the the, the soldiers and all this stuff. Don't don't get me wrong when I say this. don't hate them, but stop supporting their violence just because you think what they're doing is right. If they have the potential to harm somebody, that's not the way of the cross. We've seen it this whole through the whole book, how Jesus was behaving the whole time he was being humiliated being scourged, and then eventually crucified. Mm -hmm. He was not acting violently back when he could have stopped being a good cop. And this is another thing where it's like, well, it's not, there's no, there's just some bad apples within the police department. Pardon my language, horseshit. Because the whole thing is designed to protect the state, protect the rules. If if there's a, if, if without these enforcers, who is going to kill Jesus? Without these enforcers, who's going to come and kick down your door and take your weapon away from you? Without these enforcers, if you don't pay your taxes, who's going to come arrest you? The politicians aren't. They're cowards. They're hiding behind. They're, they're hiding behind the enforcers who have the guns. Let's be real about this for a second. You, you really did read the rest of Station 12. <laughs> well, I didn't have to because of I did. Yeah, but I didn't have to. I've been reading this stuff or believing this stuff for a while now. And I get so frustrated with Christians when it comes to this type of thing. I mean, I see, I got friends on Facebook who are cops and I adore them, but they're, and they're Christians. And I just, I don't know where they, what's going on in their mentality. It's like, we're, we're there's one is a uh, dangerous, but loving or something. I was like, what the hell does that mean? Dangerous to what? Loving to what? Well, I'm thinking dangerous to, somebody but loving to somebody else i don't know i don't i don't really know what it means it's it's i don't know anyway why don't you talk about what a good cop is well station 12 is the the high point of jesus dying is is the high point of the 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 drama it's the high point of the narrative i mean yes i get into um the the redemption at the end that's the extra station i threw in there because there's traditionally 14 stations it ends with jesus in the tomb and I add the, the little bit of redemption after it um, to get to 15 uh, stations. But yeah, the, the high point of it is Jesus dying and just the reality of what had to happen here. Yeah, good cops killed Jesus. Um, like you were saying, you know, I, I, I do write in the book, loyal law enforcers are the engine of the monopoly violence institution. Without them, the authority claimed by the high status ruling class is impotent. That's what you were talking about. Like, what's the 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 politician going to come to your door and kick it down? You know, uh, w- without them, the civic virtue claimed by the proudly compliant and often cowardly ordinary people feel unrewarded. People ask me if I'm a populist because I'm against the elites, and I say no because I'm also against the common people. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm against everybody who's you know doing lazy ethics and lazy thinking and trying to enforce it on other people. So I'm against the, of course, I'm against the ruling elites, but I'm also against the cowards who are the populace who 
who worship this stuff anyway. Yeah. Even if they, they don't really have the guts to do it themselves, you know, they, they just want to outsource their evil to someone else. They want to outsource their violence to somebody else. You're, you're not any less of the criminal because you outsourced it. That's something I say all the time. When, when you go to vote, when you're going to participate in this politics, you're outsourcing your own sin to somebody else. I am one. You're cheering for it. I, you're cheering for it. I'm 100% convinced of that. When you go vote, when you put these people in power, you're, you're outsourcing genocide mm-hmm. that you won't, you're, too, you're not going to commit on your own, but you're okay with somebody else doing it. Yeah. Voting is a way to, to trick people into thinking that what the government does is virtuous. Because I got to participate, and if I got to participate, then it couldn't have been bad. If I got to participate, then it couldn't have been wrong. Well, no, they tricked you into participating in something that's wrong. We tricked you into thinking that vice is virtue. I was guilty of it. I was guilty of it, too, for for a long time. We all are. We're all born that way. And it's, it's up to us to to mature and get out of it. And Christ helps us get out of it. You know, Christ made me an anarchist. Right. You know, I, I started off as, as just a cultural Westerner American, and, and Christ got me out of it. Christ saved me from Marduk. Christ saved me from the God of imposed order that everybody worships when they're born, even if they don't know the name. Well, I've often said the only reason I am an anarchist is because I'm a Christian. There you go. I mean, I don't really care about the label anymore because now when, when I tell people that I don't vote, I don't participate in politics. Now, I pay attention to it as much as I need to. Mm-hmm. But it's like Tertullian said, it's completely foreign to us. Sure. I don't even use the word anarchist that often anymore because all I have to do is when, when I'm talking to another Christian, I don't use anarchy because it confuses them. Mm-hmm. And they, they they think Antifa or whatever Sean Hannity and Donald Trump believe anarchy is. <laughs> why I don't participate is because I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't participate. There's nothing about the teachings of Christ that tells me that I should go put somebody in power over my neighbor. In fact. Jesus said in Matthew, it shall not be so among you. He says that in, in, in a few of them. I didn't say that. Don't get mad at me. Go talk to Jesus about it. Then he's going to ask you another question. You're going to have to go back and think about what you just asked him. That's in the introduction that you that you uh, reminded people not to skip if they pick up the book. The role of the disciples. Yep. <laughs> Man, this has been fun. And I, and I apologize for interrupting you. I, get, I got a little fired up during the show. I wasn't expecting to, but everything you put down in this book, like I said, there's parts of it that gave me goosebumps. There were some, there were parts of it that were like, "Amen," and it, it's stuff that I I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna read it again and, and again and again and again because I need. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a refresher. No, because you need you kind of need that motivation. You got to kind of get picked up, but you know, again, to because sometimes it, you get tired and sometimes you're out there in the world and you're just being drugged down. We can go read Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen by Dominic Scarcella, and it'll pick you back up and remind you of how you're supposed to behave as a Christian. This is not something that Dominic is telling you how to behave. He goes through the scripture and he points out how Jesus taught it and how Jesus behaved. How Jesus lived it. That's the key, right? How Jesus behaved. You know, if if God wanted just another prophet to tell people what to do, he would have sent another prophet. Yeah. But, yeah. you know. God shows up in the in in the person of Jesus to lead by example. Yeah, you know it's the difference between show and tell. <laughs> he gave all these people all these opportunities to express God to these other people. He's like, all right then. <laughs> What's that saying? If, if you just got to. You want something done right? You got to do it yourself, right? <laughs> it's a difference between show and tell, yeah. right? It, it, tell and tell and tell. And and doesn't that 
resonate with us in our yes. lives. People telling us what to do, even if it's the right thing, it doesn't stick with us as much as someone showing us and then taking it a step further, someone engaging with us as we learn it. So it's beyond tell and it's even beyond show. It, it's all the way to being a good model and a good example. Yeah. Like the guy who will who will learn with you and teach with you. That's why I tell students, you know, go wrestle with God. God wants you to get stronger. And the way you get stronger is to work those muscles. Go wrestle with God. Yeah. God wants you to do it. God wants you to wrestle and grapple and get stronger and get more agile and get more flexible and, and get more resilient. How many times have you learned something by being humbled? By, by being humbled. Um, it depends on whether or not I reflect on it. Right. Well, for sure. Like, but... So like, I guess one of my biggest things was like, what well, I was so, I'm so stubborn by nature, but I haven't gotten to this point to where I am now without being humbled along the way, because I, because I thought I had it all figured out, turns out, but I didn't have, and it's not because of something somebody else said, it's something that they can point to what Jesus said. And if, and I can't argue with Jesus, not going to go wrestle with him, but at the end of the day, he's going to ask me a question in return and I'm going to have to walk away and think about it. It doesn't mean I'm not going to come back with another question. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay to keep coming back with more questions to, to Jesus and to God and, and to get to get the answers you're looking for. He wants that relationship with you. That's a beautiful thing. As, deep, as deeply as you seek the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is unfathomably deep. You will not, ex- if, if, if you have an active faith, active, and, and you want to pursue it, you will not exhaust God. I like that. You will not exhaust God. Keep going. I like that. I like that a lot. Keep going. Dig deeper. Keep going. You will not exhaust God. Not only that, you're not going to annoy God where God God goes, oh, this guy again? (laughs) (laughs) Well, sometimes I wonder if he's scratching his head when he looks at some of my stuff. (laughs) Oh, okay, Craig. (laughs) Here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dominic, I'm going to let you get out of here. But before I do, I want you to plug whatever you want to plug. I know you got a new sub stack and yes. you got a podcast of your own. If you want to plug that, feel free and, and tell where everybody can find your book at. Well, the, the book is available on Amazon. That seems to be the easiest way for people to get it and also the fastest way to get it. Um, if you have a Kindle or even if you just have the, the desktop, the free Kindle app, you can get it as an ebook. You can get the paperback um, printed for you on demand. Uh, which is a great thing that Amazon has. Um, so uh, people ask me for books sometimes, and I don't have the books. I didn't have to order 10,000 books and leave them in my apartment. And, you know, now I've got crates of books hanging around. Um, Amazon will print it when you order it and ship it out to you. It's the most efficient way to get to you. It's the least amount of fuel miles. It's the least amount of packaging. It's uh, it's really a marvelous setup they have. Um you can order a paperback if you want, if you want to do what you were talking about and, and keep it in your pocket, in your bag, uh, with you where you need it and, and revisit it as you as you, you feel the inclination to. Um, you can find the Substack. It's a Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen on Substack. I tried to keep the name similar. And uh, the first Substack post up there is what you're talking about. Some problems with the word anarchy and some problems even with uh, popular connotations of Christian ethics. and uh, Well, maybe I should go read that and get you back on the show, and we'll talk about that. There, there you go. <laughs> the, the good neighbor, bad citizen journey, exploring uh, anarchism, exploring Christianity, and the beautiful harmony between the two. 
That's kind of, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, what the the subtitle was. But it, it, it's, I did the Substack because I, I think I want to continue this conversation with whoever wants to keep having the conversation. So that maybe the book is is just a jumping off point. So now I'm really into it. I, I I had no intention of writing the book, and now I not only wrote the book, but now I've started a Substack. <laughs> <laughs> and now I've locked myself into, you know, doing something weekly on the Substack for people. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to stick with that uh, for as long as I can, maybe even do more. Uh, but yes, for, for people who want to continue the conversation, I, I want there to be a way for, for people to do that. Uh, the Substack is free. There's no paid tier. If I ever get to the point where there's enough content, where I think there's enough value to offer a, um, a paid tier for people who really do want to contribute, then I'll, I'll, I'll make that decision at that point. But for now, it's it's all free. There's there's no charge for, for keeping in touch, right? Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, and go check out the Substack. I'm going to certainly check out the Substack. I, I think I saw you mention it on Facebook and I haven't gotten to it yet. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm really intrigued about that first article that you put up there. And again, folks, go pick up the book. It's very affordable, <laughs> very short read. You can get done in 45 minutes. It took me two weeks because I was taking it to work and trying to get it, get, it read, get it read through on my break time at work. And But I got it done. And if I had set it home and read it, I could have got it done probably in 45 minutes. It's that short. It's a, it's a, and it's a, it's a great read. Again, go pick it up. Dominic, I really appreciate this, man. We're going to get you back on. This has been fun. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I will jump on the pod whenever, man. I hope you uh, didn't get... Uh, tired of me being so fired up i mean you know sometimes i no, i like I mean, it I, I get a little fired up sometimes and sometimes a little more docile on show but this topic really gets me fired up and i was looking forward to getting to talk to you today good good i i, I this was a great conversation with me i i didn't uh, this is the the first podcast i'm i'm recording uh since you're the first one who who asked me and scheduled me to do this uh, so i'm i'm uh flattered and and very grateful to to you and to the Bad Roman and to all of the Bad Roman podcast listeners uh, for for checking this out and uh, you know stay in touch you know if, if we want the conversation to continue then it's 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 us who who have to continue it so uh, please do and if I can uh, uh, be of any help in in doing that and uh, if I can lean on some others then that's what it means to to have a community that is seeking together that's our we all have a personal faith 100% you know but it, there's extra beauty in a shared faith and i i think that's that's what you're uh, what what you're helping to do with the bad roman podcast and and maybe that's also what i'm helping to do with uh, with this unexpected project of mine good neighbor bad citizen uh, jesus was a good neighbor and a bad citizen Deal with it, folks. <laughs> Deal with it, period. All right, Dominic, I'm going to let you get out of here and uh, go enjoy the rest of your day. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com.